What's happening, Bitcoin Accumulation Country? My name is Phil. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. We are in season three, and this is episode 16. Hope everybody's doing well out there. I've got a really interesting interview today with Mr. Jan Pritzker, and I think everybody's really going to enjoy it. Um, I actually met him on Telegram, and we chatted back and forth, and... Um, Anyways, we just, we hit it off and I figured, you know what, uh, I, I absolutely had to have him on the show. So we're going to dive into that. But before we do, here is a little word from our sponsor, Swan Bitcoin. We are going to talk about dollar cost averaging and Swan Bitcoin. As you guys know, they're my first official sponsor and I'm obviously really glad because they are Bitcoin only and that's important to me. Uh, very important, actually, probably the, the most important thing. But anyways, let's talk about dollar cost averaging, right? Because in the end, we don't all have the amount, the full amount of money that we are going to put into Bitcoin all in one shot. And what is, I believe, to be the safest and easiest way to get into Bitcoin is with dollar cost averaging. And Swan Bitcoin offers you three really easy things to remember, okay? You can automatically withdraw from your bank account, automatic purchase of BTC, and automatic withdrawal to your chosen address, okay? It's nice and simple. It's run by some good people, and I definitely suggest any Bitcoiners to go and take a look at Swan Bitcoin and see if their dollar cost averaging platform works for you. All right, guys? So check it out. The link will be in the show notes. And now, without further ado, on with the show. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me on another Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I've got a gentleman with me that uh, I actually met, I think, um, on Telegram. I, I think that mm -hmm. that's where we started messaging each other. Um, he is the co-founder and CTO of Swan Bitcoin, the maker of Give Bitcoin, the former CTO of Reverb, and also the author of Inventing Bitcoin. I'm talking about Mr. Jan Pritzker. Jan, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I think we met in uh, one of those uh, taco <laughs> club chats. That's right. Which I love so much. To, I, I mostly lurk in there. Just so much, so much going on in there. I just try to come in and like read and try to catch up on a thousand messages. It's kind of absurd. Uh, TCBP is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so look, um, as as I told you, I really I, I don't know very much about you, with the exception of your you know your involvement with uh, Swan Bitcoin and our our chats. So, you know, as customary on the uh, the Fun with Bitcoin podcast, I uh, I want to know your rabbit hole story and uh, you know like what's the uh, who's the thinker behind the thoughts? What got <laughs> you into Bitcoin? Yeah. So. Uh, I think a lot of people have a very kind of, you know, weird path to Bitcoin and, and I'm no different. Uh, I first heard about it in uh, 2011 and uh, it was on Slashdot and I hadn't really researched what it was. I just kind of heard like, hey, there's some people, they're working on this open source thing. It's like a payment system or something. I wasn't really sure what it was. And then I saw it was for sale and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy some just in case. So I actually ended up buying some on Mt. Gox uh, at 30 bucks, which was amazing, cool. right? And then, of course, the price just tanked. I just got destroyed, wrecked completely, went down to $2. And, you know, again, I hadn't researched it, didn't know what it was or anything. So um, after I got totally wrecked on that, I just like sold whatever I had remaining and basically exited the markets at two bucks. So <laughs> that was encounter number one with Bitcoin. Uh, encounter number two was, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a startup person. I've been doing startups like all my life. 
And uh, I, I started, I went to school for computer science and stuff, but I've been like tinkering with computers since a young age. So um, pretty much when I got to uh, out of college, I started getting to startups and I was doing uh, one after the other, just like you name it. Uh, I was an early engineer. I was a co-founder. Um, I was just working on a lot of different things. And in 2012, I got into uh, this company called Reverb, uh, which I helped start with uh, David Kalt. Uh, and basically it was uh, a musician's marketplace. So think of it like an Etsy, but for drums, you know, guitars, effects. So we wanted to make a, a really nice place for musicians to shop for gear, um, for stores to sell the gear that they have and for bands to offload their gear. So we started the site in 2012 and it went, it was really, really, it was a big deal. Like it, it, it was just the two of us in 2012. By the time we got to like 2015, 2016, it was like 80 people. Um, it was growing really fast. And uh, essentially I didn't pay attention to Bitcoin. Um, so I, again, I heard about it in 2013, but I was knee deep in building reverb. So I pretty much ignored it. Um, I heard about it. I, I looked at Coinbase at the time was, you know, they had a nice looking app. So I bought a little bit there uh, at a thousand dollars. And then uh, saw it go down from a thousand to like three hundred, and basically said, "Okay, I, I guess I guess I'm just a fool again. They, they keep tricking me into buying the top and selling the bottom." <laughs> and uh, again, didn't know the first thing about Bitcoin trading, and financial markets, nothing. I was the tech guy, and you know, I heard about it as a tech, you know, idea, and I bought into it, and then basically just got wrecked. So um, you know, focus on reverb for the next couple of years. Then 2016 came around. And uh, my cousin, who was working for Microsoft at the time, basically said, hey, like, we're looking at a lot of this blockchain stuff. You should look at this blockchain stuff. It's really interesting. I said, OK, what's this blockchain stuff? And then I started researching it, and I saw Ethereum and all this other stuff. And, uh, and I realized, like, oh, wait, this is like the whole Bitcoin thing that they were talking about. <laughs> and then so I went back to Bitcoin. I started researching Bitcoin kind of from the ground up right, and trying to understand what is Bitcoin? How does it relate to this whole like blockchain movement that all these like companies seem to be really interested in? And because I had a development background, I was, you know, very lured by the idea of this like decentralized, like you can build decentralized apps, which was like this really nice shiny marketing that Ethereum had at the time. And uh, I asked a bunch of people at work, uh, like, what do you guys know about blockchain? What do you heard about? And, you know, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, Ethereum's like a thing. You can build decentralized apps. It's super cool. So I spent like six months basically in that ecosystem studying um, Ethereum, studying all these other kind of like projects going on. And it was very interesting. But meanwhile, I started watching these Andreas Antonopoulos videos about Bitcoin. And like he was explaining Bitcoin is not a technology, it's money. It's like freedom money, really important. And uh, one of the coolest videos is this thing called Currency Wars, where he talks about how governments are shutting down, you know, uh, access to capital, talked about Greece and Cyprus and all this stuff. And a light bulb went off for me uh, at that time around like, this is what it is. It's money. They're, they're building money. Okay. This is not a payment system. This is not, you know, decentralized applications. This is money. And um, it took me like probably a year of full-time study to finally come around to that idea and reading a lot of people and listening to a lot of podcasts to finally get my head, head around this idea that Bitcoin is money. And then, of course, you know, through a long evolution, probably over the next year or two years, I started to fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole much more deeply, started realizing that the rest of the stuff was, you know, probably noise, if not outright scams in a lot of cases. Um, and essentially came out like uh, came out of reverb in 2018, thinking like I had to I had to work on Bitcoin, like there's nothing more important in this world than working on freedom money. And that's. So I left Reverb in 2018. We were um, 150 employees doing about, uh, I think we were close to 600 million in annual sales of, of music gear. 
So it was a big company. Um, and you know, I, I, I wanted to do something new from scratch. I didn't know what it was. And I just, you know, decided to go down and down and see what would come out from my Bitcoin journey. That's kind of <laughs> what brought me here. That is freaking amazing. I, I love the, uh, so, okay. So you've got the, uh, the tinkerer background, uh, but you also said you have background uh, as, as a dev and I, I don't know if I, I missed it, but, um, you, you do like, uh, you do programming like C mm-hmm. or something like that. No, uh, not C. No. Although okay. that was one of the first things I learned when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I, I basically kind of grew up doing web applications and, and web that's in the last 20 years I've been doing a variety of different web apps. I worked on like a prediction market, an online university, airline reservation system, uh, a social like invitation startup. That was kind of my own thing. So a lot of startup all kind of in that web, uh, web app space. And, uh, I, I, I thought when I left reverb that I would work on something in Bitcoin, I just didn't know what. So I decided to just kind of jump in with both feet and learn and see what was, what the opportunities were. And I pretty quickly fell into a consulting gig with this company called Blocksrout, which is kind of, they're like this blockchain scalability layer. This was before I understood kind of the difference between, I guess, Bitcoin and blockchain, I would say. Yep. So I spent about a year helping them with infrastructure and learning all about every blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, you name it. Like we were looking at ways to move blocks around faster. And they have an interesting technology to do that. Of course, it requires centralization. It requires to pump those blocks through a central system that will route them. And when you have a central system, of course, you can do things much more efficiently. That's the whole point. Um, when you have a decentralized system, it's highly inefficient. And this is the thing that it took me a while to understand. And it also took me a while to understand why Bitcoin wasn't going to go down that path. Um, because for Bitcoin, decentralization is the thing, right? It's like, it's the thing that will be sac- it will sacrifice everything for that right um it's okay to be slow it's okay to be you know uh, expensive whatever all the things are okay what's not okay is for having somebody in charge of it and that's that's the most important thing about you know if we want to reinvent money we want to have money that is not controllable by anybody otherwise we've you know we've just got the same system that we have now so that was the most important thing about bitcoin and, and coming out of blockstrap i really had a good appreciation of first of all what the actual scalability problem is understood why none of these, you know, jokers at like, you know, BSV or Bcash were ever going to fix that problem because they're, I mean, you make the blocks too big and the blockchain won't come to sync, right? It's either going to be all hosted in one data center or it's never going to sync. So I kind of want to talk about that because I think a lot of people miss the the, the point about um, inherent latency, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. because there's inherent latency around the world. And then essentially, if you make the data blocks too big, what you're going to have is just an entire, at least what I imagined, was that eventually you get to a point where everything is just backlog and nothing ever really mm-hmm. moves through. Uh, unless, kind, you, unless, of, you, yeah. unless you have centralization. Right, it, right. Uh, unless you have centralization, you really cannot do this because right. you, you can't afford to have that latency. So anyways, that, that was just... Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's, it's just like you have to realize that Bitcoin nodes are all over the world, right? And we have some in China and we have some in the U.S. And like they're about as far apart geographically as you'll get. And, you know, there's latency between them. There's a couple hundred milliseconds latency. That's right. And so what you're dealing with there is if that connection is slower or severed in some fashion, like... You need to have your blocks travel all the way across the world and for other miners to get them and to mine on top of them. Uh, if they don't mine on top of the, if no, if the entire network doesn't agree what the latest block is, then you have multiple copies of the blockchain and you have an, and you can have orphans where, you know, some blocks are considered valid on one chain, but not on the other. Mm-hmm. And 
if your blocks get so big that they take longer to transmit than the next block comes, then the blockchain unravels, right? Because you have like a, a fork upon a fork upon a fork and, and basically nobody can come to consensus what the, what the chain is. And so like Bitcoin is structured in a way it's very conservative. Uh, you know, the blocks are like one to, let's say they're closer to two megabytes now with SegWit, but they're still in the realm of, you know, you can count them on, on one hand the number of megabytes, right? And they, it could have been two megabytes. It could have been four. It could have been 10. It probably still would have been okay. But the point is, it is what it is. It's like the, nar- the number was relatively arbitrary chosen at the time. And exactly. it's a good number. Um, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> it's going to be fine. He knew something about networks. He, <laughs> he might have known a he, little something. He, he knew something. Like it, it wasn't, I, but yeah, I, I definitely, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. what I'm saying, like he could have made it two <laughs> megabytes and it would have been still fine, right? Uh, sure. The fact that he made it one. The point is that true. like- the point is that Bitcoin will never be big enough to settle every transaction on the planet in real time. That's just not, you can't have that happen on a decentralized system. And anybody who's trying to tell you otherwise, it's just basic, like, it's basic networking and latency stuff. Like, you know that you, if every coffee transaction has to go to China in order to be confirmed, it's not going to happen. So, like, that's obvious from day one. So if, if you come at it from that perspective, then you then any number is fine. Is it one megabyte, two megabytes, four megabytes? It's it's rel- they're all just in the same order of magnitude. You're not really solving scalability by changing that number. So that's that's why you know things like the Lightning Network are, are much more important or other second layer technologies. No, I definitely agree. I, I totally uh, I always I always say that people underestimate what's really coming on that second layer because if you understand even just if you look at our current banking system and you take a look at you know Mastercard, mm-hmm. Visa, that's a, a second or third layer technology on mm-hmm. our on our banking system, and look at what they do. I, yeah, it's, it's at least a third layer, maybe more, because there's yeah, like I'm, Swift, I'm always trying and to, there's right, there's like right? the actual money, <laughs> then like, there's like Swift, and there's like, I mean, God knows how many layers there are until you get to Visa. I was trying so. to figure out, like, I'm like, all right, so what layer are they? But they're yeah, definitely know, a like payment five layer. Five or six, I would think. You yeah. know, they're they're a payment layer. They're up there. You know? Right. But right. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I definitely think uh, Lightning's going to. Uh, I think that um, we're going to see some interesting development with L2 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever spoken to, because you're talking about this stuff with latency and everything, and you got me thinking about this, uh, one of these guys that I argued with on on uh, Bitcoin Twitter. Um, he's uh, the he's a very educated gentleman from uh, Cornell, I think, is it? Hmm. The um, Ehrman? Uh, oh, Ehrman Gun- Gun- Gunter or something like that? Uh, Ehrman Gunther, yeah. Gun- Gun's yeah. actually, so I met him in person. Gun's oh, actually... Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of like involved in Blockstrap. He's one of the um, co-founder, advisor type people. I met him in person. He's not he's not as aggressive in person as he he's is not. on Twitter. Okay, cool. He's actually pretty cool in person. But uh, you know, to, all these guys are tech guys, okay? And and I have nothing against them. I think they're smart guys. The, the people working on Blockstrap, right? like there's PhDs from uh, from Cornell and and from Northwestern. Like they're smart dudes, and they're working on a tech solution to a problem that is a tech problem. However, true. You have to like step back and say, what is this? What a problem are we solving? Now, there might be a world where some corporate, there's like a corporate, you know, shared database, and we call that a blockchain. If you want to call that a blockchain, fine. Three companies want to share a database, fine. Then it might make sense for them to have something like that to like make it faster, right? Because it's already centralized. Fine. I have nothing against that. That's that has nothing to do with you know with, with what Bitcoin is. I think the problem is when you start to conflate like these things and, and I, I won't comment on what Goon is doing with his other projects. I have no idea with Avalanche or all that kind of stuff. I don't like anything that has a coin attached to it. I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> you want to do networking research? Like awesome. 
you want to do, um, you know, uh, research on fault tolerance uh, algorithms, that's great. Um, I think that research is, is wonderful and it's, it's been happening for decades without any coins involved. And when you try to sell something to the public with a promise that this thing is going to, you know, go up in value because my algorithm is fancier than your algorithm, algorithm, well, then you run into a totally different issue, which is you're not really talking about technology anymore. You're talking about money and money behaves in a different way and competition between monies behaves in a different way than it does between technologies. And I don't think that everybody agrees on this. I think a lot of people in the quote unquote blockchain and crypto space think that they're doing that they're going to come up with a better coin than Bitcoin and it's going to have better features and like it's going to win. But they don't they don't get I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I think they're not really understanding what we're competing on. I don't think they exactly. understand the, the vector on which Bitcoin competes with their coin, which is not faster, more private, like none of that matters. It's it's that it's not under anybody's control. <laughs> exactly. But I do want to go right. back and just say, I do agree with you on, on all your points, uh, you know, uh, about him and, and what he's doing and everything like that. My, my problem is, is once you start introducing the, the token or you start to introduce the idea that you're making something that is going to be better, like you said, than Bitcoin, but really it's completely centralized and owned by somebody. So right. I, I don't see how like that's what I don't like. I, I don't I just don't like the the sleight of hand, you know, yeah. that that's what gets me. And it's like, man, like you said, you, these are smart guys. So yeah. so why are you you know, it's like, why, why are you trying to mess with people like that? Like that? That's just weak. You yeah, know? I, I don't I don't have a great good explanation for it other than I think that a lot of smart people still kind of see this as a technology issue and they think that, you know, it, it's. It's just like, you know, the Facebook and MySpace thing. Like if, if only we yes. came up with a better social network, everybody will just migrate there. And I think people think this about Bitcoin as well. But I really love like um, what uh, Knut Svanholm, uh, he has this new book called uh, uh, Sovereignty Through Mathematics. And yes. he said the invention of Bitcoin was the invention of digital scarcity. You can't reproduce that because that in and of itself is, is the, you know, the refutation of that it's scarce, right? So like these people are all trying to reproduce something that there's that's supposed to be scarce and they're coming up with all kinds of fancy technical ways to to like, you know, remove themselves from the equation and say, OK, yeah, you know, it's a fair launch. It's not a pre mine. It's not this or that. They're trying to create all these ways to pre pretend that their coin isn't just another copy of Bitcoin with some kind of, you know, uh, magic on top. Um, and even if it's a totally different, you know, ground up rethink, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the point is, it doesn't matter. It still has a founder, still has a team. And has it has all these things that are centralizing to it, and you're competing with something that's had 10 years of quiet development, you know, that's been able to develop under everybody's nose quietly without being seen. And now that any new coin comes to the market, everybody knows about it, and day one. And it's not like you, you can't have this organic process repeated again. It's not no. going to happen. It, it was a historical accident, I consider it, and uh, that the fact that it, it was able to flourish in the environment that it did, and now it's here. So like. Now you have to compete with it. So good luck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? I, I totally agree. And I actually spoke with uh, Knut. Um, I spoke with him uh, last week. And um, he uh, obviously talked about his, uh, his book, Sovereignty Through Mathematics. And we talked about exactly that, the Immaculate Conception. 
and and the fact that the reason why one of the reasons it's important is because it's kind of ingrained in the human psyche this this idea that something is kind of like you know born you know mm-hmm. if you think about it right like i don't know if you're a huge fan of the movie the matrix but you know like obviously right anybody in this age group <laughs> but you know, you, you know i can't assume you yeah. know you, you may not but uh, <laughs> like you know the uh, the right the, the the story about you know the, the man that was born you know like in the system mm-hmm. right you yep. know, like that he could change anything and he could do anything he wanted. And it's it's this idea, right, of immaculate conception that it's mm-hmm. like a thing that is born of the system. And that is exactly what Bitcoin is. It's like this this answer, you know, to yeah. a lot of questions. I mean, there's so mistakes. many things that are special about Bitcoin that could have been different. Right. Like even, you know, with the timing of its birth. Right. It was born during the financial crisis, 2008, the, the, the message embedded in the blockchain, like the chancellor on Brink of second bailout for banks. Why is it that message and not something else? What would Bitcoin have been if it said something like, you know, free pizza for everybody? Like, you know, I don't know, I'm just making things up. But just think about it, like the religious undertones, the timing, like everything that comes with it is so kind of unique and special. And now if you try to reproduce it in that way, you're just looking like a cheap clone. So it's like a total accident of history. And maybe Satoshi was this, you know, brilliant genius. Maybe he was just a dude who got lucky and put together some pieces that were already floating around and it was just there at the right place at the right time. We don't know, but in either case, it happened, right? And it happened in this very unique way that it's just impossible to reproduce. And I think people underestimate the importance of you know religion when it comes to money, because mm-hmm. money is in a lot of ways a religion, right? You have to believe that it is backed by something, especially modern money. Oh, yeah. um, you have to believe, <laughs> and you know, we're, our faith is about to get tested, man. <laughs> They're about to print a lot of this stuff. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, we are living in very interesting times where we get to see everything that Bitcoiners have been talking about for years. It's being played out in real time. Oh, yeah. We told you the money printers were going to go crazy. They're going crazy. We told you they're going to try to take away all your rights. It's happening. Like all of these things are happening. Right. And um, who knew that it was going to happen now? I mean, it could have ha- it could have not happened now. But now that it's yeah. happening, Bitcoin is here. We've got to see what's going to happen. It's, I think it's very interesting to watch how it plays out. I totally agree. It's it's kind of it, it, it's kind of it, scary but exciting at the same time right you know because yeah, I, mean, I, I mean i'm sure that, I, I mean look it's a tragedy people are losing their jobs and the markets are tanked and like people are losing their retirements it's a very bad situation but the thing is what got us here right like wh- why why are we here um it's not coronavirus that's not why this is happening uh it could have been anything that triggered this we have been you know on a massive pump for 10 years loose monetary policy and everything that people have been telling you or at least people in Bitcoin and Austrian economics have been saying, like, if you listen to them, they were warning about this for a long time. And they were saying, hey, this is not sustainable. Meanwhile, we've got the president going on around uh, screaming that the stocks are all time highs and everybody should be buying. And it's like anybody with elementary, you know, basic understanding of markets knows that when somebody's yelling all time high, buy the all time high. That's like, <laughs> don't do that. That's the <laughs> signal. That's the signal, man. <laughs> that's, like... that's literally, literally called the top. Um, I mean, <laughs> like within a month, right? He did. So like, yeah, he did. And so that's that's the thing that we have to understand is we're here because we allowed loose monetary policy to create this world. And Corona or Schmarona, it could have been anything that popped this bubble. Now we're experiencing the pop and the pop is very painful, but it's also a very good lesson to understand why we got here and hopefully not repeat those mistakes, even though they're being repeated tenfold right now. And uh, it. it I'm literally scared for what the next 10 to 20 years are going to look like on the policies we're setting up today. It's it's absolutely absurd what's going to happen. 
it's it's really scary stuff and as we know it's very easy to take things away it's very difficult to put them back in place absolutely right so you know like right now we're you know we're definitely seeing some change in behavior you know some forced change in behavior because of what's going on with the coronavirus i actually wanted to talk about that too because you know a lot of people right you have a lot of people sitting there saying look look at what it did you know like coronavirus is ruining our livelihoods you know it's ruining our you know it's, it's ruining the markets it's ruining this so unfortunately the other side of that coin is is that no it's not ruining it's exposing it's, mm-hmm. it's unfortunately exposing the fragility of our hospital system, which shouldn't be this fragile. It's yes. exposing the fragility of our financial system, which shouldn't be this fragile. So it's like, you know what? It's, it's the double-edged sword, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you I think, know? you know, uh, reading, like I've been reading Anti-Fragile recently, Nassim Taleb. Shout out to Nassim Taleb. <laughs> Love that book. Uh, Love that dude. Yeah, great book. Um, you know, the concept is, is very simple. Like if you don't have something that tests your fragility all the time and forces you to become anti-fragile, then you build a fragile system. Like you build a system that is has no stress in it. And that's what the Fed has done for us, right? They, they eliminate stress. So anytime there's stress, they come in and they say, oh, no problem. Here's a little bit of extra liquidity. Let's just fix all the things. You want some money? We got money for you. You know, how much would you like? Two trillion? Four trillion? Ten trillion? You know, you name the number, we'll give it to you, right? And what what is that doing? Well, that's telling people, okay, if you if you take risks that you shouldn't be taking, no problem. You'll get a bailout. You're not going to go broke. I mean, airlines aren't going to go broke. Uh, banks aren't going to go broke. We're going to we're going to bail all of these systems out. We can't afford not to as a society, right? They're, you know, we, we have this classic phrase "too big to fail" that we learned in 2008. That's right. And now everything is too big to fail. Everything is ten times bigger than it was in 2008. Yeah. So <laughs> everything's getting bailed out. Um, so <laughs> it's Every- like we're not allowing the anti-fragility to build. We're not allowing the immune system to develop because we're not allowing for small shocks to uh, help us learn, we're waiting, we're fixing the small shocks and until the big one comes, right? We suppress volatility until the volatility blows up and then goodbye. <laughs> everything is everything is going down hard. So are we too big to bail yet, right? <laughs> See, I don't know what that means because like, they can exactly. literally print an infinite amount of money and that's what's gonna happen. But that's the- that's, They've right? announced that, right? <laughs> But that's the thing, right? Like, so when is when are when are we too big to bail? When when can't we anymore? We we don't know what that number is. We don't know what that number is. We'll and only I, know once it happens. <laughs> right. I think it's also really interesting to say, like, scary shit. Why why did they decide that you know two trillion or four trillion is the right number? Like, what, where do these numbers come from? They're completely arbitrary. Nobody actually knows. So they're gonna put in the one trillion a day of repos. They're gonna put a, a four trillion dollar you know fiscal stimulus bill. Then nothing's gonna happen, and they're gonna go, oh. I guess that wasn't enough. Let's put in 10 trillion. And like, it's just going to keep happening, right? Um, until I think they're probably going to reinflate this bubble at some point. And then what? You know, what, what's a, what does the next crash look like 10, 20 years from now? What, is that, what does that cycle look like after we've reinflated this bubble with, you know, 20 trillion in stimulus? Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> did, 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 you, did you see today? Uh, I mean, like, look, all the news, all the money that's coming, right? They're, they're going to, and, and yep. the market, I, I don't know what the market actually closed at today, but I, I, know I, I don't think it was. things were down in general. It was not up as yeah, far as I know. I don't think it was up. So, I mean, that, that's, that tells yep. you that the public doesn't care. At this point, like, it's like, look, we're down 582 points. We're down 18. Okay, so Dow is 18 and a half K. Yeah. I mean that's. I don't. I don't think we're done either. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of macro voices, which shout out to oh, Eric yeah, Townsend, no. great show. Um, 
And they've been talking about the virus since January and really calling how the magnitude of this, which we a lot of us didn't really fathom. Even I, having listened to them and been like, yeah, totally, this is going to be really bad, did not fathom how bad it was going to be. Um, and so, you know, they've been talking about it like it's going to last until May or June until the virus peaks. And I'm kind of with them. I mean, the, the hospital systems are only just starting to get overwhelmed. Like these are oh, yeah. things things that are one that happens in your neighborhood. And when your local hospital is overwhelmed, that's like then it becomes real. Then the panic sets in. And so I don't think we're done with this whole thing at all. Totally and, agreed. Uh, you know, after after it clears out, then what happened to all that money that was pumped in? What happens when we all come back to work and start to restart the economy? But now there's, you know, our money supply is four times as big as it was before or 10 times as big. I don't know how much bigger it's going to be. It was four times as big in 2008. That's what they did in 2008. What are they going to do this time? <laughs> 10 times, 20 times? I don't know. And then what happened to the currency? It's, I mean, it, <laughs> I don't understand how to, how to even talk about this. I mean, at some point, they're, they're just going to start paying you to go to work. You know, so it's just like, I so, mean, so you get a check and then you get another check because you get this other check. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't, I frankly, like somebody has to explain to me how this is supposed to work because they're going to give free money to people, fine. But then the, the good services economy, there are not more of them. There's less of them. The, the whole thing's been shut down. So if anything, there's less production with more money supply. I mean, to me, like Econ 101, supply and demand, you're going to have massive, massive inflation from this. And nobody knows where that, I mean, maybe there's smart people sitting and doing the math on this. Um, I don't think they know how to model the system. I, I think this is way too, there's, it's a way too complex of a system. And the, the basics are too much money, too little production. That's not a good situation. And so, <laughs> but at the same time, they can't sit there on their hands either, right? Because if the Fed's like, okay, the whole economy is crashing and burning, the Fed is expected to act. We like, this is what we expect of the Fed. They're supposed to rescue us when we fuck things up. So, right. But what can they do, right? They they have no more like as you know, they they have nothing left in the bag. I mean, like, st like I'm saying, right? It's they. So what are they going to do? They're well, they're going to start buying stocks. stocks. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, they're they're, they're pretty the much stuff. they're going to start buying stocks. What are they going to do? Are they going to come shopping at our businesses and they're going to start <laughs> to become our customers? So now all of a sudden, you know, the Fed comes and buys your paintings from you. I guess I don't know. I it has to be. <laughs> I, I, I might be mistaken, but there's like I think there's a country that does that, where where they they, they they support the artists and stuff like that, and they like the, the government oh, actually really? buys the, the government art. does. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't, don't quote me on it. I could be totally making this up. <laughs> it but could be a thing. Could <laughs> it could be a thing. thing, but I don't know. I, I just to your point. I mean, I know that in Japan they they've been like the the Fed of the the whatever the Central Bank of Japan has been buying uh, corporate bonds for a long time, for like twenty years, I guess, something. Like that. I mean, at least ten or twenty years. Don't quote me on that, but um, we would not be the first country to start doing what we're about to do, which is buy corporate bonds. But then we—I don't know if anybody is actually out there buying stocks. Maybe Bank of Japan is doing that as well. I'm not sure. Um, but at the point where the central bank is buying stocks, bonds, everything in the economy, all prices are distorted. There's no more price signaling. That's the problem. Like this is why we never learn our lesson because if number go up all the time, okay, I'm gonna buy more stocks because like. The number only goes up, right? There's no volatility and the number only goes up. It seems like a great uh, story for me. And then like another black swan event comes and everything, you know, goes down by 50%. So uh, I don't like, I don't like it. And I don't see any clear way out of it either. That's, that's why we have Bitcoin. <laughs> that's right. Let's guess coming back to that. That's right. Turn our attention back to Bitcoin. <laughs> um, no, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. 
Um, I love to go off ta on tangents like that. No, I like that too. You I know? mean, I, I've been learning so much about macro. I, 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 you know, I don't want to sound like a fool. Like I probably am very sophomoric about this now because I think I understand how everything works now, even though I, I've probably just scratched the surface um, after listening to like macro voices for, you know, in the six months straight. Now I'm some kind of macro genius, but <laughs> obviously I don't know anything that I'm talking about. So don't quote me on any of this stuff. I know about Bitcoin. I know about tech. Um, and I'm starting to understand how the economy works, uh, but I'm starting to understand that nobody understands how the economy works. And that's, I that's think, the right. more important thing is to know that that it's too complex of a system for anybody to model and just stop thinking that you're going to fix it with some crazy interventions. The experts aren't even experts. Mm. You know what I mean? So, Very yeah, I, I definitely uh, I totally agree. So turning our attention, though, back to Bitcoin. Um, I want to get. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, actually Swan Bitcoin, who um, yeah. I'm going to be. Uh, I'm actually going to be talking about on my podcast. I'm gonna awesome. Yep, yeah, I'm going to be at the the beginning of each podcast. I'm going to start to talk about it and start to explain to everybody, uh, you know, about the uh, the dollar cost average model and why you know why they should use it. So, you know, take me back to the beginning. Tell me about uh, like. I mean, look, you started this with Corey. I spoke to Corey mm -hmm. on the podcast, like. You know, tell me your yeah. side. Tell me your story. Yeah, Corey, awesome. Uh, yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, I was consulting for a while. I was uh, helping a bunch of different startups out. And one of those startups was actually Give Bitcoin, which was Corey's initial idea before Swan. And uh, I was an early advisor to Give Bitcoin um, pretty much from the time it started. I, I helped them out with some of the content and kind of editing some of the book content that they're doing, uh, as well as helping a little bit on the tech side. And uh, Corey and I had been uh, co-advisors to another company, a public company called Riot, which is uh, a Bitcoin mining company. So we kind of had a lot of chances to hang out together and, and talk. And uh, we'd just been both thinking about the same thing, essentially. Like he started to give Bitcoin because he saw there was nobody in the gifting space really you know, owning that process. And he didn't think that there was really enough room to compete with something like Coinbase. Um, meanwhile, I had been developing this thesis around that on-ramps are the thing to be working on. Like really, if you look at businesses in the Bitcoin space, there's a lot of stuff that's exciting, but maybe a little too early. Um, and to me, that's including like pretty much everything with Lightning. Like Lightning is awesome, really interesting, mm -hmm. but nobody has Bitcoin in their pocket, let alone Bitcoins on Lightning. So my hat's off to the people working on that stuff, but it's just like, it's too early to, to make a serious dent. It's a, it's a long-term investment, right? Yeah. Um, so if you want to work on a startup, okay, is it going to be lightning oriented app layer stuff? Is it going to be, um, like in the infrastructure, like, uh, the lending, let's say lending is another business, which is interesting. But again, if nobody has any Bitcoin, then what are you lending? Um, so to me, on ramps were that thing that was in the sweet spot. We always need to on ramp more people to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And as I was, you know, in my journey over the last two years, as I was becoming more of a quote unquote, Bitcoin maximalist or, Bitcoin Ultra, whatever you want to call it, somebody who under <laughs> understood the value of Bitcoin and <laughs> and wanted to work only on Bitcoin. Um, I was onboarding my friends, right? And actually, in 2016, when I onboarded some of my friends, I had them download multi-coin wallets. I had them use Shapeshift. Like I explained to them, you know, at that time I was like, here you can like swap in between Bitcoin and all these other shit coins, and you can invest and whatever. But over time, as I got more educated on the monetary side and the more economic side, I started to realize that all these things had like zero fundamental value. And I was probably getting people wrecked by recommending them to do this. Uh, so I started moving away from that and, and basically saying, okay, Bitcoin is the only thing that matters. How can we make it easy to onboard people to Bitcoin? And that's when Corey and I were really just kicking this back and forth. 
and said, we need a Bitcoin only on-ramp that's going to couple this kind of educational flavor that Give Bitcoin had, which is, you know, we had a book written uh, in progress. We have a chapter for every uh, kind of like, uh, you know, why, why is Bitcoin important? What is money all about? Like all these things that educated you about the fundamentals of Bitcoin. So we had this idea of how do we combine the fundamentals and the learning experience with on-ramping in a way that's super simple. And over, uh, so Corey came up with the Swan brand. He called me one night and he said, I got it. I got it. It's going to be Swan. It's Black Swan. And I said, it's, it's beautiful, man. It's really, it's amazing. It's, it's perfect. Um, not only is it a Black Swan because Bitcoin is, you know, the positive Black Swan disruption to the whole, uh, you know, financial ecosystem, but it's also essentially like the story of the ugly duckling and turning into this beautiful white swan that's you know, something that's going to be beautiful for the world, a force of good. I always believed in Bitcoin as a force of good. That's why I started working on it. So uh, when we had this discussion and, and the idea for on-ramps, we really just decided, okay, we need to make it so simple for people to dollar cost average. People need to think, not think about Bitcoin. They're saving a little bit of Bitcoin at a time. They're building up their freedom stash. That money's good for if they need to leave the country, they need to fight inflation, whatever the use case may be. They have money that is truly theirs and theirs alone. And the best way to do that is to put a little bit away at a time savings, which is a lost concept on the American public. Like nobody saves anymore, right? Throw it in the stonks or, uh, or spend it, right? Those are your two choices with an inflationary money. So <laughs> we don't want that. We want saving. And that's why the swan is all about saving a little bit of Bitcoin, uh, you know, buy a little bit every week, every month, every paycheck. Um, we make it easy. We, it's a no brainer. You connect your Brink account and everything else just happens. Now, if I'm not mistaken, um, part of the service is that um, you can choose, let's say, a specified amount before it automatically gets sent out to your uh, your Bitcoin wallet or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So we're going to have auto withdrawals, and we're we're still working on those. Uh, but uh, so we have an actual we have a hold for ACH fraud. So meaning mm -hmm. when you deposit into uh, from your bank into Swan. There's a certain hold period, which is uh, 15 days for us to buy the Bitcoin and then 60 days until you can withdraw it just because otherwise you, you can withdraw your Bitcoin and then call the bank and say that you never gave oh, us yeah, money. Oh, yeah, of course. And then we're totally screwed. No, of course. Uh, we don't want. Um, but after that period, we can start to auto withdraw into your wallet. And the reason what we're going to do is we're going to set thresholds. And that's for two reasons. Uh, one is if you withdraw very small amounts, then you end up with what's called dust. Um, I'm, some listeners may be familiar, but if you have yeah. essentially uh, bits of Bitcoin or UTXOs that are really, really small, then at some point, if the fee Bitcoin fees go up a lot, then it could be too expensive for you to spend them. So if you were withdrawing like $1 at a time, probably not a good idea. Uh, however, if you put a threshold on there, let's say your thresholds, you know, $100 worth of Bitcoin or like 0.1 Bitcoin and 100 million sats or, you know, 0.01 Bitcoin, whatever it may be, uh, take that you know, threshold and, and withdraw to your wallet periodically as soon as it hits. That way you have decent sized chunks that are not going to have fee problems in the future, or at least the fee problems will be diminished. And uh, the other nice thing about that is kind of uh, built in privacy because the, the amount isn't like so specific that you can go and say, okay, that's the amount that was purchased here. And that's when it went to your wallet. Mm -hmm. If the amounts are constantly like 0.01 BTC, 0.01 BTC, then you know, it's kind of almost like default. It's almost like coin joint type of privacy because um, you can't see you know, individual amounts, they're all the same. But th those are just some basics, basic hygiene things we're doing for our users to help them stack in the right way, so to speak. Very cool. Very cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the uh, that's actually one of the features that got me I, I signed up for the beta. 
Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we're starting to roll people into the beta, and we're actually going to be live on March 25th. Um, we're working cool. like around the clock to make sure that everything is solid uh, and, and workable and um, getting people in. We have a bunch of people on our mailing list that we're going to start like rolling in in early batches. So some people will get access a little bit earlier. Um, starting on March 25th, we're going to roll in some of the earliest uh, signups, and then we're going to kind of be rolling throughout that week. And then uh, the following week, we're going to be just op- totally open. Very cool. Very cool. And I just realized this this podcast is actually probably only going to come out in like three weeks from now. So oh. so well, I'll be I'll be doing these <laughs> I'll be doing these Swan Bitcoin uh, <laughs> I'll be doing these Swan Bitcoin pitches at the beginning before yeah, that. So. <laughs> it's all good. If you're listening now, sorry. you just chance to be an early beta person on on Swan. But sorry about that. But now That's you can okay. go to the site and check it out. So go exactly SwanBitcoin.com. <laughs> that's awesome okay so um any other uh i was gonna say do you have any other any, any other plans like what what's uh i guess like what's in the future for swan bitcoin like right now you're doing the uh the dca do you guys mm-hmm. are you just like are you just 100 percent focused on that or are you gonna uh, are you we will enable anything else so we're gonna do one-time buys as well i think we've had a couple different um uh, you know, we had some feedback from early users. Some people love to start their stack off with a large amount, mm-hmm. right? So even if you're going to be saying, you know, saving a hundred bucks a month, maybe you want to put in a thousand dollars, like you get your Mnuchin bucks, you want to put those in. Um, great. You know, so we're going to look at doing a one-time like initial stack boost. So you can start your stack off with, with a larger amount and then come in with uh, smaller recurring buys. Uh, and we're also going to look into doing wire transfer so that you can actually buy more immediately. Cause right now with ACH, like I said, there is that 15 day, waiting period um, with wires, it would be pretty much that same day or the next or the following day. So we, you know, just like any other exchange, you'd be able to keep a US dollar balance with us. And uh, it's not actually stored with us. We have a custodian license regulated, you know, handling all this stuff. So you don't have to worry too much. Obviously, you should always worry about custodians, not your keys, not your coins. But within, you know, within that space, um, there will be a lot of people who just want to keep it in custody. And there will be some people who will keep, you know, small amounts in custody and withdraw periodically, which is fine as well. Uh, but yeah, we'll support wires and uh, we have some other really kind of more fringe and out there features that we're thinking about. Um, like, uh, you know, maybe I won't talk about them just yet, but basically being able to buy Bitcoin when certain things happen, um, which will be very cool and kind of trigger buys on on demand. Um, so all those things are hinging on wires being activated. So we're probably going to do that in the next month and then follow up with some more exciting features. So the, the, the banking system is... Uh... Is, is always cumbersome. I've noticed, like I, I it's you know, horrible. because it, you, even from Coinbase, <laughs> from Gemini, I mean, man, Gemini, Gemini does something very similar. You know what I mean? Like they, mm-hmm. you know, you you can go and buy Bitcoin instantaneously, but then you have to leave it on the platform for at least seven business days. Yeah, you and know so what, what they're I mean? doing. So that, that's like, also a form of ACH, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So the thing with the, the the actual ACH window is sixty days. So literally, you can call your bank up apparently sixty days after you gave somebody money and say that you didn't which is oh. really ridiculous. It's, uh, the finality of ACH is truly horrible. Somebody complains about Bitcoin having to wait for an hour for finality or for near, you know, there, obviously there's no finality in Bitcoin, but after an hour on Bitcoin, it's like, it's as good as, you know, it's as good as done. With ACH, it's literally 60 days. So it's completely absurd. So what that means is that if some company is letting you withdraw with, with uh, before 60 days, that they're taking a lot of risk. Now, if they're a multi-billion dollar company, maybe they're okay taking that risk. I don't like that risk. I mean, that's risk no. to the company that, you know, that could, that could be the company going out of business, right? Like somebody goes in and sets up a thousand accounts and, you know, does $10,000 deposits on all of them and, and pretends like they never happened. 
that's big. That's a big problem. So that's not the kind of attack we want to be open to. And so we're being really, really uh, conservative with the way we're dealing with fraud, and which is we're not allowing you to do any fraud. Sorry, no fraud on this platform. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the good. simplest way to deal with fraud is uh, wait 60 days and you get your Bitcoin after that, because for sure you're not going to get your money back. Um, but <laughs> you know, as we get more sophisticated with that, maybe we'll lower some of those limits, especially if you're doing smaller buys or something like that. Um, we're always looking at ways that we can improve that for our users. But the most important thing is to be around as a company and not to yeah. go out of business because a whole bunch of people decide to be assholes and try to claw back their money 60 days later. That's, we don't want that. No, exactly. Right. You know, you got you got to definitely uh, you got to give yourself a chance to grow and, you know, spin totally. up. So that definitely, yeah. but, you know, everything we do is in the name of transparency. So like if anybody has questions, you know, we're always out there. We're on Twitter. We have a text number that you can text and questions and we'll answer them. So these things are, uh, you know, both Corey and I have reputations. We have we have been in the space for a while. And I think it's important that people who <clears throat> believe in Bitcoin create Bitcoin only businesses and support them. Uh, because I don't want to be explaining Litecoin and Ethereum to my parents when I, you know, I say, hey, go and buy Bitcoin in this platform. They go and open it up and it's like 30 coins. It's like, no, I, I don't want that. That's horrible. And it's not a service to your friends and family when you send them places like that. So let's start sending people to Bitcoin only businesses. I think it's super important. Hats off to being responsible. <laughs> yes, yes. Responsibility. And it's look, it's easier on you. If I, you know, if, if I send somebody to a Bitcoin only business, that's why I don't send people to, to Coinbase anymore. Yes. That's just so it's too much for me. I, I don't want to answer their questions all day long. Like it, it's really hard to convince somebody in a 15 minute conversation that like altcoins don't have value. Oh my it's God. Really, really hard. It took me like a year of studying monetary theory to understand that. I'm not going to be able to explain that in 15 minutes. So no, of course not. <laughs> And you can't uh, just flash I, all your memes in front of them, right? You know, like you we we forget sometimes being in the space for a long time, like that that this this is knowledge that we learn through osmosis from like hours of study per day. Normal people and you know everyday people don't have time for that. They really don't. They they don't do their own research, despite that we always want to say do your own research. Nobody does their own research. They just ask a trusted friend. Yes. And so that's what it is. And so our mission is to make all the trusted friends recommend Swan so that. You know, they don't have to answer their questions for, for their friends and family. They just say, go to this screen, fill out how much money you want to save per week, connect your bank account, call it a day. And then Swan will teach you about wallets, how to set up a wallet, how to withdraw, how to do all that stuff. Like, we will take care of that. Um, I think that's what onboarding means. It doesn't mean throw people into a trading interface and say, good luck. Um, <laughs> you know, here's, tw here's 12 coins you should be trading. Um, please enjoy and hope. Hopefully you don't get wrecked. Uh, and if you do, no problem. Just replenish your account. I mean, because that's, I mean, that, you know, come on. That's, that's Coinbase's strategy, right? I mean, they want you to trade a whole lot of shit coins. Oh, and, yes. Uh, we don't, we can't have that. That's nope. just not responsible. And they want you to lose a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, because you're going to keep paying in commissions. Yeah. That's very interesting, though. I, I, I definitely, um, I, I really like that approach. And I think it really, I think it really helps uh, because one of the most difficult things, as you just mentioned, is uh you know onboarding people uh not uh just because the the altcoin proposition um you know like even even mm -hmm. myself you know right like when i first started i definitely uh, you know fell for altcoins um yeah. I, I think i think most people do i think there's very few you know quote unquote purists i think vj boy once said like i'm one of the few people who's, who can claim that they've never touched a shit coin but yep. 
Man, I don't know. I, I honestly think that people who have touched Bitcoins are become some of the best Bitcoin maximalists because they've been there and they've been through it and they've actually like looked at all these things and said, oh my God, like, you know, I now understand what the point of this was, how it was marketed and what it actually is, you know? Yes, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's true. <laughs> and it actually makes you a pretty, um, like a, a pretty bitter, like, uh, you know, shitcoin denier because... <laughs> Because it, it it totally like you just get pissed off, you know, and and, yeah. and and it's like no, you know, you you don't know what you're thinking, you know, people yeah, are sitting there and they're trying to convince like, you, and yeah, I don't want other people to <laughs> go through what I went through. It, exactly, it was not like it was a waste of time, you know, time and money. Uh, yeah, life. But the the other thing is that you have to realize that when you talk to normal, you know, everyday people, like most of them don't know that anything outside of Bitcoin exists. That's the only you know cryptocurrency they've ever heard of. They don't know about Ethereum. They definitely don't know about Bitcoin Cash or any other, you know, shitcoin like Bitcoin for clones. They don't know any about any of this stuff. And uh, if anything, they might have known for for five minutes during like the 2017 hype bubble when it was in all the media. But everybody's forgotten about it. So it's almost like with us living on Twitter and all these different online forums, we're we're overexposed to a bubble like mentality around like crypto, which doesn't really exist. Like most normal people don't know this stuff exists. And that's good. That means we have a chance to explain Bitcoin to them in a rational way and not even talk about the other stuff. We don't, this is why we don't have a section on our site calling, you know, said, uh, sorry, called, uh, you know, like, what about altcoins? We're not going to talk about altcoins. Altcoins don't exist. Altcoins, they're, they're low liquidity, you know, trading tricks for people to acquire more Bitcoin. We're not going to talk about them on our, on our platform uh, and distract people because most people don't need that distraction. They don't know about the stuff. They don't need to be introduced to it. So we have to be careful about how to talk to mainstream versus what's happening online, because you know people online might still be debating whether you know Bcash, you know, should exist or not. But like normies <laughs> don't care; it doesn't exist for them. So <laughs> no point in debating anymore. It just doesn't exist. We know it shouldn't exist. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm just saying, like these debates are pointless because it, it, it doesn't exist for all practical purposes. It doesn't exist. So it's true. Just... It's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right, you know, because anytime my father talks to me about it, he doesn't come up to me and talk to me about the Ethereum, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know? he's, just, he's just asking, like, should he or should he not buy Bitcoin and when, That's right? right. That's pretty much what people ask. That's exactly Should I buy Bitcoin now? It's on sale. That's what I heard this week a lot. A lot of my friends said that. Oh, yeah. Uh, different different conversation, by the way. Different conversation from the previous time when it went down to three grand and it really was on sale. And uh, nobody batted an island when it dropped from 12 to three and a half. And I was yeah. buying and everybody else was like, you know, a zombie. Now, hmm, what's, ah. what's different now? <laughs> Whole economy is burning all around us and people are like trying to buy Bitcoin. It's just very interesting, I think. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, uh, I, I forget who said it, but lots of people say it all the time. But, you know, it's like when you need to get it, you get it. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're ready. What it is. When you're ready, it's, uh, you know, it's... Um, uh, what's that saying? Uh, the the uh, the lips of wisdom are closed, except if you have the ears to hear it, or something like Ooh, that. Fancy. Yeah, some kind of yeah, deep yeah, stuff. Something. Very some, deep. Some kind of deep stuff about not being able to hear something until you're ready. I think that's about <laughs> right, uh, and I do think there's a need-based component here. I think, I mean, obviously, look, my friends, they're they're relatively well off. We're all like, you know, Chicago, like North Shore, whatever. We we are upper middle class. Let's not. We're not going to bullshit uh, ourselves. And for us, Bitcoin is not a quote unquote need. I buy Bitcoin because, first of all, because I think it's a nice way to diversify away from the crazy shit that's going on around us. Also, yeah. because I came from the former Soviet Union and I left that country um, without uh, our money. We were able to keep $100 per person. Um, my family, I was, I was only seven years old, but 
the government let us keep $100 worth of currency because capital controls. So I know what that's like, and I know that I want to have an option to leave if I want to, and I need to have money that's free. So, and, and a lot of my friends are in the same boat. They, they understand at least that, uh, that story. They came from the same place. But we buy Bitcoin mostly as a luxury good. If you look at places like Venezuela or you know the surrounding countries, they started buying Bitcoin. Like when Venezuela started hyperinflating and collapsing, all the surrounding countries started buying Bitcoin. Why? Because now it's real. They see, they see that this shit is really hitting the fan, and Venezuela is really fucked, and that they could be next. That's and, right. Uh, I think that's what people are waking up to right now as well in America. They're like, oh, we thought stocks were going to go to the moon forever. It's, it turns out there's something wrong with our economy. We didn't really understand what. They still don't understand what. Nope. But most people have a sense that something is not right. They don't know how to put their finger on it. Um, but they've heard of Bitcoin, and Bitcoin exists outside of that bubble. So it's something they should buy probably just in case. Because just in case they don't understand what's happening inside the bubble, it's better to have something that you can tether to outside of the bubble. <laughs> I totally agree. I really like the way you put that, too about having something to wet uh, to tether outside the bubble. Yeah. I like yeah. that. And that was not a shout out to tether the No, the of course not. Coin. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Whatever, it's a, it's fine. Whatever. Some kind of it's a dollar. <laughs> or but I, but, a but fraction I, of a dollar, who knows. <laughs> it, it's the symbolism. It's, it's, the it's symbolism the symbolism that matters, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, <laughs> man, th this this hour totally flew by, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do uh do you have any final thoughts for the uh for the listeners? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Buy Bitcoin, stack, <laughs> stack sats with Swan. Um, I mean, my, my thoughts are really that, um, you know, it's my, as, as fun as it is to like shoot the shit and talk about this stuff, like this is serious. And, and the reason that I'm in the space is serious. It's like I, I came into Bitcoin because of what my family went through in the Soviet Union. I hope to God that nobody in America has to experience what actual like authoritarian communism socialism looks like mm -hmm. um with full-on capital controls and all that shit um you know lockdowns on on people coming in and out of the country uh complete media uh controlled by the state but we're headed that way guys so we need to watch out <laughs> and uh you know like uh, look I, I think america will survive this uh this thing but we are giving away a lot of liberties right now all over the country i mean there's some pretty bad shit going on. I mean, I just read a story about Wisconsin, some county in Wisconsin. They put up a website where you can report your neighbors for gathering more than 10 people. Now, okay, I understand it's a virus and we're trying to protect ourselves and whatever. And I, I'm all aboard with the staying at home. I'm, I'm at home now. I'm quarantined. But holy shit, man, reporting your neighbors. Uh, we have California about to launch drones to monitor people on streets. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I mean, I know how I feel about it. I think that's fucked. <laughs> so it it's is. very it's very hard to roll those policies back once they're in place, right? Because I was tweeting about this earlier. It was, we have 18-year-olds now, right, adults, that have never seen a world without the TSA. They all know that to take off their shoes in the airport. They don't question it. It's just like normal life. Do you think the TSA is ever getting rolled back? Do you think the fucking shoe bomber thing is getting rolled back? Nope. Never. Never. Never, right? And, like, nobody even remembers why we do it. We just do it. We just take off our shoes. It's, like, cultural now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just indoctrination. It's indoctrination. And um, that's what I'm most afraid of. So I think Bitcoin is a very important part of this. I think it's one of the only things that exists that protects our freedom in a true way uh, because we are going to a fully digital society. We're going to work from home more. We're going to use digital money more. Mm -hmm. Everything is going to be digital, right? When money is digital, then you have no control over how you can spend it. 
you think cannabis is legal in your state, go to a cannabis store and use your visa card. Can you do it? Can you use Apple Pay to buy cannabis? You cannot. Nope. Okay, so you have no freedom with your money. The only reason you have freedom is because there's still cash. And that is going to get eradicated very soon. Yep. And so serious shit, guys. After all this <laughs> back and forth, I, mean, I don't want to end it on a serious <laughs> note, but like serious shit. Buy some Bitcoin because it's, it's important. It's important. It's an important way to protect your freedoms. And I'm not even like a hardcore libertarian. I'm just a, a person with common sense who's come from an authoritarian regime. Okay, buy some Bitcoin and protect yourself and protect your family, protect your children and your grandchildren. Because you know what? Bitcoin might not go to the moon tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But at least it's something that's that you own. It's yours and nobody's going to take it from you. Um, so go out and stack on repeat. Cool. Thank you so much. And obviously, I totally agree. You know, it's uh, it is serious business. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's uh, you got you, we're, we're having a little bit of fun with it. You know, it's, it's but, fun, too. It's fun. And it's, but you're, but and it's religion. It's all good. But but, but you're absolutely serious. right. You know, it's especially coming from your background and explaining what you explained. I, I, I definitely agree. You know, I appreciate it, that. It totally makes sense, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks. This was great. Great cool. talk. And uh, looking forward to come to uh, listening to this when it comes out. Cool. Cheers. Thanks right. again. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, my chat with uh, Mr. Jan Pritzker. His uh, contact details will be in the show notes as well as mine. So if you want to reach me on Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you'd like to reach me by email, I'm CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Catch you all next time.